For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 13 to the end of the chapter. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,213. First John chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Let us now hear God's word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. As for the reading of God's word, I invite you at this time, congregation, to turn with me in the Forms and Prayers book to page 242. In Lord's Day 34, the question, question and answer 92 asks, what is God's law and the Ten Commandments are there for us as the answer? And then the same Lord's Day, Lord's Day 34, asks, how are these commandments divided And the answer is into two tables. The first has four commandments teaching us how we should live in relation to God. And the second has six commandments teaching us what we owe our neighbor. This evening we're going to look at question and answer 94 and 95, particularly 95, what is idolatry? So I'm going to read the question, question 94, and congregation let us respond with the answer. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayer to the saints or to other creatures. That I rightly know the only true God, trust Him alone, and look to God for every good thing, humbly and patiently, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I renounce all created things rather than go against God's will in any way. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Let's ask the Lord's blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would open our eyes and hearts 
to see and believe, to hear and to respond to the truth of your word. And that our hearts would be drawn to Christ, drawn to the true God and eternal life. May we, O Lord, be fed in this evening hour as we hear the preaching of the word and that you would teach us daily what it means to cast down all the idols in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, tonight's sermon title is Keep Yourselves from Idols. The Apostle John closes his epistle Right there at chapter 5, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In the scripture reading, there was a lot there, (laughs) a lot to unpack. But I really want to focus this evening on verse 21 in particular. Verse 21 is somewhat uh, of an anomaly for many Bible commentators. They're they're, They're thinking, well, this seems a little bit out of place. How does he go from the broader context of his letter to this verse, little children, keep yourselves from idols. It just seems random, some of these commentators think and believe. What's going on in the broader context of the letter that moved John to conclude his letter with this verse? Conclude his letter to Christians Little children, I'm your spiritual father. Keep yourselves from idols. At a closer look, it's not necessarily uncharacteristic of biblical authors to warn his audience to be watchful and to guard oneself from idolatry. It's not unusual. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council sends out Paul with a a council letter telling the Gentiles to avoid, at all costs, idolatry. Food sacrificed to idols, eating blood of animals. All of this idol worship, keep from these things. Ephesians chapter 19 as well, Christians were exhorted to avoid idol worship and practice. John's exhortation to keep oneself from idols, does in fact fit his overall message. And it fits in this way. John appeals throughout the entirety of his letter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Son of God who came in the flesh, and he is warning the Christians to beware of those false teachers who promote a false Christ who would then be a false idol. There are those who come and tell you that Jesus did not come in the flesh. I spoke of this in the past. Where they believe that Jesus only seemed to come in the flesh. An ancient church heresy called docetism. He didn't come in his full humanity, but he only appeared to or seemed to. John says that that is false, that is a lie from the pit of hell. 
John teaches that those who have been born of God love the brethren. Those who believe that the Son of God has come in the flesh is born of God and keeps His commandments. These come from John's letters. John clearly teaches that the way to God the Father is through Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth. The truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we have the testimony of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bearing witness of the true doctrine of salvation that is found solely in Jesus Christ. And through faith in his name, we have eternal life. And John writes to assure the people of this. I write these things that you who believe may know that you have eternal life. So when you, when you think about the, the broader context, it's not uncharacteristic for John to say, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from false Christs. Those who claim that the Son of God didn't come in the flesh Christian, by their fruit, they show that they are not born of God because they don't love his commandments. John writes in chapter 3, verse 7, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Does that sound familiar from this morning? I told you the two sermons are connected. For the Jews, the idea of the Christ being the Son of God is blasphemous because God is one. There are no other gods before him. That is the first commandment. The Christian, however, believes that the Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. There is one God in three persons. Therefore, the church confesses and worships the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, this is mystery, but it's not idolatry. It's not idolatry because it's revealed in the word of God. Who this one true God is revealed in three persons. And so the early church worshipped Jesus. They prayed to Jesus. They weren't idolaters. They believed that through Christ we worship God, the true God, by the power of the Spirit and the testimony of the Spirit in us. John's saying, do not turn to any other testimony. Do not be deceived and turn to false Christ. Turn to idols. This evening I want to unpack idolatry, though. Because today we, we have this idea of idolatry as only being that which is worshipped in terms of wood and stone. We have golden calves in our lives. Yes, we do. We have golden calves in our lives. The inf we're going to look this evening at the meaning of idolatry, the influence of, idolatry, of idols, and the peril of idolatry. The meaning of idolatry, the influence of idols, and the peril of idolatry. The second and third points are different, but related. And we follow up on the question posed this morning. 
What's most important to us? What do we value most? What do we value most? Let's look first at the meaning of idolatry. John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, what, what are idols? What is, what is idolatry? And the catechism beautifully lays out a, a great definition for us. It doesn't say everything that needs to be said or can be said about idolatry, but it is pithy. It is to the point. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. Idolatry substitutes the true God as he has revealed himself in his word in the Bible for something or someone else to worship in place of or alongside of the true God. We substitute the true God for gods of of wood and stone, of gods of materialism. And we're going to talk about those gods specifically in a few moments. But idolatry essentially, in its very essence, is the misplace of worship, the misplace of trust. God requires that we worship no other gods and set no other gods before him. And we mustn't think that we can live syncretistic lives. What does that mean, syncretistic? Well, that's what essentially is being said when when the catechism says, in which one trusts in place of or alongside of. To live a syncretistic life is to bring something alongside of your worship of the true God. Like I can worship God and something else at the same time. When we were in Haiti, I was in Haiti on a mission trip, and the churches there, many churches, fell into the danger of syncretism, that they can keep their their voodooism and incorporate it into their Christianity. Bringing something alongside of, or trusting in something alongside of, place of the one true God. That's why in the question and answer 94, we read in there, responsively, that I am not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayer to saints and to other creatures. <laughs> When I was young, I, many of you know I grew up in the in Catholic Church, and in my confirmation in eighth grade, that's when you make confirmation, you have to appoint a patron saint, and my patron saint was Joseph, Saint Joseph, and I had to appeal to Saint Joseph. He was my patron saint. He was my go-to saint. But what was I doing? What was I doing? Joseph, my patron saint, took the place of God. Mary. We had to learn prayers to Mary. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death, amen. I had to pray that. We had to pray that. What was I doing? I was looking for another mediator. In this case, a mediatrix. God graciously gave us the Bible to teach us how we know him, how we love him, and how we serve him. The Bible is our source, is our guide, is the truth concerning the one true God. And he tells us how we are to worship him. He teaches us what idolatry is and how to avoid and shun it. He teaches us to run from sin and turn to the Lord for salvation. And I said this before, in the Western world, we consider idolatry to be the worship of gods made of wood, stone, or golden images, like those in Buddhist cultures. In the New Testament, Paul teaches what idolatry is, and he goes, takes it a step further. It's not just wood, stone, images. In the New Testament, the meaning of idolatry is further expounded upon, illustrated, when Paul teaches that the sexually immoral and impure, the covetous and greedy, shall not inherit the kingdom of God, for they are idolaters. Oh, now he's hitting home, isn't he? Because now we're getting to the heart. We're taking notes, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. Paul specifically calls them idolatry. Our Lord Jesus expounds upon and teaches us the meaning of idolatry when he talks about one's allegiance. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, you can't trust God and trust money. You can't live a syncretistic life. That is money alongside of God. Idolatry takes many forms. Many forms. Idolatry may be the, take the form of family, children, work, Hobbies, oh yeah, oh yeah, these things can become idols. These may become forms of escapism from the realities of life's problems and a, a true turning to the true God. I will run to these things and find my peace and rest and comfort from my spiritual pain and trust that they will bring me rest and comfort and yeah, maybe even salvation. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The cost of discipleship. In other words, Jesus is saying, how much more will you love me? How much more will you love me? He's not saying that we ought not love our families. Of course, we should love our families. We should love our children. But he's saying, how much more should you love me? You ought to love me. And not place the things of this world above me or alongside of me or in place of me. How much more must we love our Lord and place no other gods before him? If our happiness, our peace, and our rest depends upon these things, we have made idols out of these things. We have put these things alongside of the one true God. The meaning of idolatry is not just wood and stone and the worship of these things. It goes much deeper, much deeper to the heart. So now we look at the influence of idols. The influence of idols. Congregation, idols corrupt and enslave. They corrupt and enslave. The influence of idols is great, and God makes it clear that those who trust in them become like them. You hear what I said? Those who trust in idols become like the idols. The human heart is enticed to seek after them, hoping they will bring relief to the weariness of the soul. In fact, the opposite is true. They corrupt and enslave us to be conformed to the image and likeness of the idol. We read in Psalm 115. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Verse 4 says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. God says that those people who follow after idols will become like them. Now let me ask you a question. In what way do they become like the idols? How are they influenced by idols? How do they become like the idols? How do you and I potentially become like the idol we worship? Psalm 115 teaches us. They become the idol, like the idol in this way. Just like the idol we read in Psalm 115 is deaf. The one who is influenced by the idol becomes spiritually deaf. Just like the idol is dumb, they who trust in idols do not understand spiritual truths. 
Just like the idol is blind, those who trust in them do not see spiritual truths. In other words, they experience a hardness of the heart. Just as the, 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 the idol of wood and stone is a hard object, their hearts become hardened like that object. And just like they can't speak or, or hear or respond, that is the nature, the state of one who is influenced by idols. And this influence of idols is strong. And now there's this question, do Christians struggle with idolatry? Well, it depends what we're talking about here. The true Christian trusts, he believes, as John wrote, those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Those who truly believe, have repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, are saved. But we still struggle with sin. And didn't Christ die for idolatry? The influence of idols is very real in the Christian life. The Christian life is like a daily tearing down of idols by the grace of God. God saves us by his grace through faith in Christ. We struggle and battle daily with sin and it's a daily battle to tear down the idols of our lives by the power of the Spirit at work through the ministry of the Word of God. So yes, we do struggle with idolatry, but we recognize it, we confess it to the Lord who saves us by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus. Thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ, because the only way of escape from the influence of idols is Christ, who by his death and resurrection saves a people for himself from sin and idolatry. He chose us and called us, a people, for himself to be worshipers of God, to be salt and light in this world. For Christians, the influence of idols, however, does this. And it's a very important point. The influence of idols hinders the spiritual growth of a Christian. Christians may struggle with idolatry, repenting of their sin of idolatry and bringing it before the, God, the Father through Christ the Son. But the influence of idolatry may hinder progress in our spiritual growth. Why am I not growing in faith? Why do I keep struggling with certain sins? You ever ask those questions? <laughs> I have. Why do I keep doing this over and over again? Why am I a dog returning to his vomit? Perhaps, perhaps the influence of idols hindered my spiritual progress in faith and growth in the Lord. That's how the influence of idols affects the Christian 
who is truly repentant and turns to Christ. As to those who are influenced by idols and become like them and are unregenerate, unbelievers. The influence of idols, the influence of idols corrupt and enslave. Lastly, the peril of idolatry. John says, little children, keep or guard yourselves from idols. John's exhortation and warning to keep yourself from idols is so important because if one persists in them and trusts in them, the idolatry brings ruin. Question and answer 94 asks, what does the Lord require in the first commandment? Answer, that I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation... Wouldn't you say that's perilous? Wouldn't you say that that's some serious language for those who remain in idolatry or unrepentance? In the New Testament, as I said earlier, the Apostle Paul warns the churches in his letters, stating that those who engage in certain evil practices enumerated by the Apostle have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, because idolatry leads to the hardness of heart and the ruin and destruction of the soul. Another example is Isaiah chapter 6. You ever wonder when you read Isaiah chapter 6 and the Lord says, who shall I send? And, and Isaiah is like, here Lord, send me, here I am. And the Lord says to him, go to the people. What kind of message what kind of message was Isaiah called to preach? What kind of message? Well, I'm going to tell you what kind of message. In Isaiah chapter 6. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not, be, do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Go and preach divine judgment because of the influence of idols that corrupted them and enslaved them, and they therefore became like them. As a result, God sent Isaiah to preach this message to them. A message due to their own deafness, dumbness, and blindness of hearts. When you hear the preaching of the word, when you hear the teaching of the word, when you read your Bibles, how do you respond to that word? The peril of idolatry. 
Today, it would manifest itself like this. The sex addict will not hear the admonition and call to repent. The workaholic will live in seclusion and distance himself from his family and loved ones. The alcoholic, the materialist, the rationalist, the greedy, the coveter will become corrupt and take the likeness of the idols. That's why the Bible clearly teaches that addiction is an idolatry problem. And the idols have influenced us so greatly that it has placed us in bondage or slavery. For the Christian, yes, we struggle. Yes, we may face consequences for idolatry. For the Christian, we have been set free from the bondage of sin, death, and hell. And therefore, when Christians wrestle against sin, the sin of idolatry, we must turn to Christ. We must appeal to one another, turn to Christ, know his forgiving love, be healed and renewed. Because Christians are not exempt from the peril of idolatry. As I prayed earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O Lord. Here's my heart. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Take heed lest ye fall into idolatry. Christians are not exempt from the peril of idolatry in this life, in this life and its consequences. It may result in depression. It may be the source of broken relationships. It may be the harm to one's body and soul. These things, these things arise from a heart of idolatry. A misplaced worship. A misplaced allegiance. Either unto ourselves or to someone else or something else. And this is where self-examination comes in. How do you self-examine your heart? Lord, what are those idols in my heart that prevent me from progressing in the Christian faith, looking to myself and my idol, not looking to Jesus? Christians, since we are saved by, by, saved by grace through faith in Christ, Let us desire to destroy the idols of our hearts. And here's a, a few final points I want to bring to your attention before I close. First, let us be quick to confess our, our idolatry. John says, if we, if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his truth is not in us. And we confess our idolatry and receive his forgiving love because we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. God purifies us from the sin of idolatry by his mercy and love for us. Secondly, keep yourselves from idols means to guard your heart from idols, turning to God morning by morning, day by day turning to him, trusting in him for forgiveness and mercy. Third, pray, pray, and pray. 
Lord, cast down the idols of my heart. Help me to trust you only for my salvation, for my hope in life and in death. After you pray, fourthly, take action and destroy the idols. See, when Jesus says that you must ask, seek, and knock, ask diligently. That means you pray diligently. Seeking means you ask and do. You ask the Lord and you put your hand to the plow and you take action. What must I do to put to death these idols in my life? Take extreme measures if you have to. Have people around you who can encourage you. Walk alongside you. Pray with you. Live the Christian life in community, not in solitude. Take action and destroy the idols. Congregation, when you suffer with severe pain physically, you visit a doctor most of the time. The doctor is not a good doctor if he deals only with the pain. If he deals only with the pain, he is a poor doctor. A good doctor may give you pain medication, but he'll go much further. He's going to investigate the cause, the source. Because unless the source is dealt with, there's going to be no healing, restoration, progress. Idolatry causes a lot of pain, and Christians oftentimes deal only with the pain and not looking to the source. Whether spiritual or physical, they want relief without examining their spiritual lives and looking for the root cause. Where is there an idolatry problem? What is keeping my eyes away from fixing them on Jesus? Why am I experiencing the consequences? I am serious about this. The heart is desperately wicked above all things, and we deceive ourselves. We are deceived even by our idolatry, thinking we have none. Pastor, I don't have an idolatrous bone in my body. Am I talking to Jesus? What have I placed before God and trusted it in to find purpose, meaning, peace, and rest? Don't be deceived. We become what we worship, what we give our allegiance to. That's what we become. And the consequences of our idol worship deeply affect our relationship with God and deeply affect our relationship with one another. That's just the reality of it. That's the reality of it. John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The grace of our God be with you all and help us all in this fight against idolatry. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins.
we confess that we, as Calvin once said, have minds like a factory of idols. A factory of idols that continues daily and we manufacture them with our hands and our hearts hoping to find peace and rest. But we confess our sin of idolatry to you. You know each human heart here. You know what each person struggles with what the golden calf is for each person. Oh Lord, may you teach us daily to tear them down by the power of your spirit and word that we may progress in our sanctification, growing up in faith, hope, and love. May you, O oh Lord, create in this body of believers love and unity accountability, that we may stir one another up, reaching out in love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ on our lips and hearts. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grant us all that we stand in need of to fight the good fight of faith against idols that seek to influence us, and to bring about ruin and destruction in our lives. O King Jesus, may you reign and rule in our hearts, dismantling every idol of thought, word, and deed. We pray in Jesus' name.